Yeah, for those of you who don't know, that is a, um, a couple of years ago, we took, or maybe more like five, we took the, the term child care out of anything we do here. Everything we do is children's ministry. It is programming. It is teaching and training kids. One of our philosophies here is that <clears throat> ministry <clears throat> in the church is ministry done by the people of the church or training them to do ministry. So youth ministry is not ministry done to youth. They're not passive members of youth ministry. That is the ministry that they, the youth are doing. So for example, this week they were at Breckenridge Village um, all week, which is a, a ministry, a Baptist ministry to adults with special needs. And the, our, our students were out there. John, how many kids went? How many of our students went? 34 kids went and worked hard in the heat all morning um, for three straight days and uh, to, to beautify that place. That, that's youth ministry. It's the ministry that the youth are accomplishing, or it's stuff that the youth are being trained to minister. It's not just, it's not babysitting. We don't, we don't do that here. Um, and that includes with our children. Our children are either being trained and equipped as future ministers of the gospel, or they are actually accomplishing ministry. And so don't have in your head that children cannot minister. They can, they do. Um, Ginger's brother, who was four at the time, led her to salvation in Christ when she was three. Um, he's still a missionary. But that's the thought that a child could not um, express the gospel is an error. In fact, in some way, it, you kind of have to be a child, right? We've talked about that. The Bible teaches if, if you don't come to Christ as a child... Um, at some level, the child in us has to respond like a child. And so um, just, just want to encourage you, this is something we believe in, it's something we do. By the, time, by the end of this talk this morning, I'm going to really emphasize that, and I, I hope you'll take the opportunity to be involved. Um, as I was working through this idea uh, of Jesus being the light, um, what came to me eventually as I'm working through all of it and what we're going to talk about at the end of the sermon as well was the idea of seeing and how that's connected to light. Can I see uh, this vision? Can I get it? Can I, do, do I see it? Can you see it? It's, it's all of those things put together. The passage this week that they focused on was John 8, 12. Um, and the, with the phrase, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The whole passage says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this is, this is an intriguing Statement is very similar to some of the other analogies that we see in the Bible, like that of water. Why we chose um, South Spring is partially because of what Jesus teaches is about the fact that he, as the source of living water, that people who drink of the water that he gives, the analogy there, never thirst again, which is very strong language, by the way, um, when we get to Hebrews 6 in a couple of weeks, pretty strong language that they will never thirst again. This is, a, this is an important teaching there's, there's a garden, the, the, the different imagery for God's kingdom and the world, a garden, a battle, a job, um, things like a city on a hill, which we'll talk about again more in a minute, um, and of course, a light. Um, this is important, and, and this is a, this idea of, of the identity that God speaks into us is significant. Um, so keep in mind, when we're talking about light and darkness, we have a really hard time with that because it is never dark. For us, um, <clears throat> how many of you have, have ever done one of those tours down in a cave? Have you ever done those? Okay, did you do one of the ones where while you're down there, they turn the light off while you're in there? Okay, so before the invention of, of smartphones, that was even scarier because if they kept them off, you got nothing. I mean, no, very few people carry a light, carried a light around with them everywhere they went. Nowadays, of course, everybody does. It's 
and how you stay away from Legos in the dark. The, um, that, but that was really rare back then. It was, and so you, they would turn off those lights and you would realize I would be in huge trouble. Well, that kind of darkness was the norm for people a couple of thousand years ago. The pitch darkness that we don't experience anymore. We always, even now, even just 20 years ago before cell phones and stuff, even just that much light being dumped into our face. But, but the invention of electric light really throws us off, disconnects us from the time that the Bible was written. When they talk about darkness, they mean dark. Um, they mean no, no floodlights, no, no street lights, nothing. And so especially in a minute when we reference people in prison, keep in mind, they are talking about the darkness that would come with a cell door closing on a room that has no window and has no light bulb. It is dark. Pitch dark, can't see your hand in front of your face, kind of dark. I'm just finishing, I just finished listening to the audio version of Count of Monte Cristo. Um, great, great movies. Boy, the book was a beating. Um, it was 42 hours long, audio. Um, but one of the main points that they made in the book was the darkness that he experienced. Um, that he was in this place. When, so, for example, if you've seen the movies, when he meets the priest in the book, they meet each other in absolute pitch darkness. And it's hard to even wrap our brains around that because we don't experience true darkness hardly ever anymore. The kind of darkness being described, a dark world the kind of world where every time Jesus goes into a new city, or most of the time when he goes to a new city, who greets him? A demon-possessed person. How dark a world are you living in when there is a known, accepted, established, possessed person in every small town? When you're no longer allowed to speak the truth openly, when you live under Roman rule, where the Romans can decide at any time that a few thousand of you need to be executed publicly. That happened all the time. So, we understand a dark world, certainly some part of that, a place where truth cannot be spoken, um, a place where truth is denied, a place where truth is sometimes even criminalized. We're there. Not there like they were in the first century, but we're getting there. Part of why we need to be preparing our children to live a life of ministry is because they may live in a much, under much worse circumstances for Christians. So they need to be prepared to live as a light in that world. Of all those wonderful analogies, these spoken identities into us, <coughs> which makes me, by the way, want to comment quickly on the fact that it's Father's Day. And one of the key aspects of being a dad is speaking identity. And we're going to look at some passages where God does this. As Baptists, very often, we, um, throughout history, we've turned these identity statements into behavioral modification statements. And that was a huge mistake. And it's biblically uh, inaccurate. So to say, for example, that we're supposed to learn to act like light... Or we should, we, should, we should start being like a city on a hill or, or whatever. Those, those are error. We're going to get there in a second. But so often they get turned into this behavioral modification stuff. One of dad's things, one of the identities, to, to be a good dad means nothing more than to exemplify the paternal traits of Almighty God. That's what it means to be a father. To be a good father, you exemplify the paternal traits of God. Just like we said a few weeks ago, to be a good mother means to exemplify the maternal traits of Almighty God. To the degree that our children can know God because they know us, we're a good father or a good mother. To the degree we would say God is really extremely different than dad or God is really extremely different than mom, then that's a huge problem. 
that we need to be working on. Now, no one is capable by themselves of, of, of painting in all the paint by numbers of God's paternal and maternal traits. It takes hundreds of men in our lives, hundreds of fathers to speak identity into us, to tell us the truth of who he is and who we are. But dad's an encouragement to you that when we hear the truth, when God speaks identity to us and we hear the truth of that, we can then speak that. We can pass that along. <clears throat> Think about the significance of this. Um, this, is, this is about Jesus, who Jesus was, John 1, 3, and 4. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light wins. Light always wins. In the end, light wins. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That Jesus was going to be the light was prophesied way back in Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. There you go. True darkness. And, and, and the, the, the pain of being exposed to the light for the first time after spending years in prison must be impressive. It's hard to see the truth. It, we're going to reference that as well in a second. It's hard to, to have that expressed to us and shown to us, but that is where freedom comes. Now think about this. Mark, uh, Matthew, the apostle Matthew, the tax collector who wrote the book of Matthew, also references that passage in Isaiah, we think, when he's saying... In 4, 16 and 17, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadows of death, on them a light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here we have Jesus, the great light, the light of the world. The great light has come to a great darkness. And when we see the light, the response for us should be to repent. I'm going to take a second and, and to explain that word because you, you may not have a clear understanding of that word. Repent. We've over-religiousized this word repent. We put all types of, of kind of religious behavior with it and all that kind of stuff. Repent is a descriptive word or it's a command. So, so if you're, the idea is that wherever you're going, you turn and go the other direction. That's all it means to repent. To change direction. In fact, some have said it may have been used as a military term, like you're marching, um, forward march, and you march and march and march. The commander says, repent, and you would turn and walk the other direction the same speed. To repent, to go the other way. That's all that it means. So, so overly churchify it, stay away from that. It just means to change direction. Um, one of the places you see that is people debate like, do you have to repent to become a Christian? And, and of course the answer is, if you become a Christian, you have repented. That's what it... Like you can't become, you can't change direction without repenting. That's what it means. I'm following my path. I'm following this wide path that everybody else is following. It seems cool. It seems popular. It seems like a good path. I'm on this one. I'm going to stay on this one. And then the, the light is exposed. Oh, look, this is the path to destruction. Oops. Oh, look, there's a big pile of Legos on the floor. Oops, don't. Oh, there's a big drop off over here. Don't. Whatever that is, when the light reveals that you need to change direction, that when you change direction is repenting. That is to repent. And I hope for some of you, if you've lived in darkness all of your life, today will be the day of salvation, as the writer of Hebrews says. 
God has set aside a special day. Today, if, you're, if you realize, I've been walking along the path in which I am the highest power in my life, and I am the, uh, the at least I think I am, or, or I trust in myself, or, or whatever. Get out of the darkness. And by the way, you, you don't need to get everything fixed. If you're not a believer, in fact, let me just want to make sure I say this correctly. For those who have lived in darkness and their entire lives till now, the call is there. The day of salvation is today. Repent and follow Jesus. He's leading the wagon train to salvation. So get on the path with him. Get off the path to destruction. Get out of the prison. It's so common that you'll hear people say, well, I need to get this right in my life before I do that, or I need to fix this in my life, or I need to stop this, or whatever. So let me just, let me just encourage you with something. Stop trying to do surgery on yourself in the dark. That's not likely to work out well for you. Instead, get out of the dark into the light, and here's a crazy thought, where the surgeon can work on you. See, the surgery of, 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 of living the Christian life comes after conversion. It's ridiculous the thought that you're going to try to do surgery on yourself in the dark and that that's going to improve your situation. It's not. Get out of the darkness, get in the light, get to the surgeon, let him work on you. Repent first. Let God do the work that he does. It, it, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's painful. It is painful. We talked about the scalpel. We held up the sword last week. That God's word is going is to lay you open Expose and reveal. Remove that which is destroying you. Yes, we'll get there. But for those who are still in prison in the dark, stop worrying about that. Stop trying to fix anything on your own. It's not going to happen. It's only going to make things worse. Get out of the darkness first. Follow him first. The door is open, and today is the day to respond. I hope you will. If there's anyone here who has never made that decision, I hope you will. If you've got questions that are keeping you from making that decision, great. Ask them. Come find someone, meet someone, get, get to know someone well enough to ask those questions. I doubt if you've come up with a new one. Now, for those of us who have been released from the dark prison, there are still applications for us. Here's one. The truth is continuously being brought into the light in our lives. There's always more to drag out of that prison cell. There's always stuff that we left behind that we thought could be hidden. That's good, and there are times that's great, and it's times when it's bad. God will reveal things. If, if you've been in ministry very long, if you've lived out ministry, if you've worked with kids in, in the area of children, if you've, if you've led classes, if you've done Bible studies, there have been times when you thought you blew it, that this was awful. I mean, you never had an impact. Just a total loss. Put a, put a, put a big number one under the L column. This was terrible. And then somewhere down the road, someone comes back from that experience and says, hey, here's how that changed my life. That God is going to reveal to you what he was accomplishing sometimes despite your worst efforts. It's amazing how often that happens. And sometimes God rewards you with that in a way and it's brought into the light and you can rejoice. And God's light will reveal that truth. It is, it's an amazing thing. I'll tell you one of the coolest things for all of the devastation I think Facebook and social media has brought into people's lives. One of the coolest things ever is when someone finds you from decades in the past and says, hey, you probably don't remember me, but you were my youth minister when I was in seventh grade. And one Sunday you said this, and it changed my life. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. Or on days like today, I've already started getting a few of the Father's Day, Happy Father's Day from 
from men and women who I've invested in throughout my life and had a paternal ministry in their lives. And I don't just mean my own kids, although I've gotten some from them too. But yes, I've gotten texts from my own children for Father's Day today. But I started it. I sent the text first. So that is a, that's a, it's a beautiful thing to see that lived out. And in addition to that, our sin is continuously being brought into the light. Sometimes by our own admission, which is awful, but less painful than when it's brought into the light forcibly. Either you are aware, listen to this, either you are aware of the tendency in all of us to hide. That there's part of our character, there's part of our lives, there's part of our sin that, that we chase off back into the shadows the minute the light comes on, like roaches. And I mean that not like you guys. You guys are awesome. This is Ben and Jennifer Roach, for those of you who are, we have our own Benifer. Um, uh, like the bug. This is, a, this is an awful picture in our mind, and we're not comfortable with it, but if you are not aware of the fact that you have a part of you that is like that, then you're lying. If you're aware of it, then you can live in clear, humble, sober respect for our ability to sin and hide. That's, that's where we should be. We should be able to acknowledge that. Our ability to sit in the dark is so powerful. If, if you have a relationship, if you're in a relationship with a person or a substance or an emotion or a temptation, if you have kept provision for the flesh, as the Apostle Paul says, if you've kept that handy and hidden in the dark, and by the way, you probably have. We all probably have. It's time to confess and deal with it. Um, the reason that you will hear me from stage talk about that I don't have internet access with my phone and I don't have unrestricted internet access anywhere in my life and that I have accountability for people to ask me hard questions and to tell me hard things that are going on in their lives is because I respect um, in, a, in a fearful way my own ability to run and hide in the dark. That there are parts of every one of us who is like this. And if we don't, I am more afraid, I fear the consequences of something staying in the dark and growing and becoming more powerful than I am of it coming into the light with people who I know and who love me. You need relationships like that. Beyond that, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, you say from the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I respect that. And I, I encourage the same for you. If you are not in the kind of relationship where you can speak openly about the dark things in your life, that you, aren't, that you don't have light that can expose that in your life, please do so now. By the way, I'm not preaching to those whose sin has been brought into the light. Um, that happens day after day and week after week. If you're in a church staff situation, one of the things that people do is when their sin is exposed, someone will reach out. The sin has been exposed and we need help. It's sad that it was not six weeks before or six months before or six years before. There is sin in my life and I need to come talk with somebody about it. That, those are much easier to come back from. 
but we've all been there. Those consequences are now where we come alongside each other and try to love and live with each other through it. We've all been there, all of us, every one of us. But my fear is for those who are still in the dark. That you sit, we sit through sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study, serving and working and doing more. And while we're doing, we excuse and embrace and rebel with the sin in our life and try to keep it hidden. I beg you to find the right person to talk to about it, whoever that happens to be. Because the second application for Christ followers is this. So one is, our lives are being revealed. The second one is this, we are lights. Just like the Bible teaches us that just like he is the spring of life, and that we then, when we have him in our lives, we spring up life in ourselves as well. It also teaches us that he is the light of the world. It would be blasphemous for us to claim we are light of the world, right? If we claim that, like, hey, he's light of the world, I'm light of the world. That's, that would be a problem. But listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. He is the light of the world. I assume that the correct understanding is he is the light of the world, therefore we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket. But you put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house in the same way. Listen to this, by the way. I know a lot of Christians who, who abuse the passage where Jesus says to pray and give in secret. They abuse that passage into saying, therefore, I don't ever need to live out my faith in public. My faith is a private, secret matter, like Jesus said in Matthew 6. Well, I'm reading from Matthew 5. And Jesus does say in Matthew 6 that if you intend to bring glory to yourself, then yeah, you better do it in secret. Let God reward in secret. If you're doing it so that other people can see and give glory to you, you better enjoy that because that's as far as it gets to go. That, do that in secret. But in Matthew 5, listen to what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If your motivation is that the good works you do are seen so that people give glory to God, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's what we're trying to accomplish. We want people to see the light that we have and to realize that it's reflecting off of us like the sun reflects off the moon. Yeah. And then look to the sun. That's, that's the correct picture. Light is that symbol. We should continue to shine out in truth. Notice, by the way, that this, they're not just truth. It's not just this glaring like, uh-huh, I'm going to reveal people's sin for them. These pictures are the concept of light as a source of comfort. A light in a dark place, yes, it reveals, but what it does is it, is it makes your heart stop racing because of your fear of the dark. Creeping around in a dark place, very quickly, if, you have to, and if you've never experienced this, by the way, I have many times, I, growing up out in the woods, I spent a lot of time out in the dark. And, and so I have found myself on my hands and knees creeping around in the dark, afraid of when I was going to come to the edge of a creek or a, or, some, or a hill or something like that. And the minute someone's like, hey, dude, I got a flashlight, you don't creep around on the ground anymore, do you? You don't have to do that. Oh, well, cool. We can see. In it. Let it change you. Can people see the lights all around? Can you see the lights all around? Can we see the lights in each other, the lights that we are setting fire in these kids across the way there, these, these who were up here? By the way, I, don't, I didn't hear what percentage of even just VBS of the 180 kids were here. Did she say a third? So there's only like 60 kids up here? Is that what Rebecca was saying? That was 60. On a given Sunday morning, there's about 250, 
ish, maybe 300 in the first service. And there's somewhere between 350 and 400, usually, sometimes upwards of that, sometimes up over 500 in this service. There's 350 children almost every Sunday morning over there in the other building. It's no wonder it takes so many of us to lead them and to minister, teach them to become ministers, to be involved in children's ministry. Can we see those lights? Can we see those little lights shine? Imagine, I actually threatened, I told Rebecca, I was like, you know what, this Sunday morning, because I'm going to be talking about the City on the Hill thing today, the capital campaign, we're, we're moving towards wrapping that up and we need a bunch more people to get involved. I threatened, I said, like, what if we just get all the kids? Like, let's just bring them all in. And I think, and Rebecca's response was like, I think I'm going to be on vacation that day. <laughs> Imagine if we, if we moved 350 children here. Here's actually what I also threatened is that I was going to hand each one of them a commitment card and have them bring it to you (laughs) with a pen. Here, fill this out, will you? I'll wait. Yeah, You you know you'd get stuck with like the three-year-old come toddling up to you. (laughs) Does God shine through us? Does his light shine through us? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, speaking of identity statements. Dads, pass this along to your family. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't be afraid to lead people with the light. Be that light. Let your life so shine. We desperately want to do that here with our kids in new ways. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. So even something as simple as VBS, where you have about 180 kids come. I think Rebecca said this. I don't know if she did, but about 80 of them were not from our church. What a huge opportunity for kids to see the light. Some of them come from very, very dark places. One of the things we've run into, though, is that, and many of you know this, you go across the hall, you go across the breezeway, and you go into that building, and people are dropping off children, and there's plenty of room in here, by the way. We could, we could even, in, even like today on a, on a relatively nice full day, we could, we could add another 200 people in here easily. There's enough empty chairs that we could do that. It might be a, you might be a little less comfortable than you are now as Texans with your elbow room, but the, that is a, that we could do that. First service, we could add 400 more. But the problem is we can't add much more over there. And so we, we are authentically, many cases, running out of space over there. Some of those rooms, you drop off your, your child, and there's 20 other children that child's age in that room. And if you're a guest and you experience that, you go, I don't know about this. It's a little full. And so, one, we, we need to be engaged in this ministry. It is the main calling to this church, I believe is to raise up a next generation of Christian leaders and ministers, starting as young as we can, and, and equipping them and their families to live that. So I really want to encourage that. We could, any banker would tell you, this church, we have no debt, and we have all this property. We are a great bet for any bank. We could easily borrow money. That's, that's kind of the American microwave mindset, though. And, and, and there's a place for borrowing money. I'm not opposed somehow philosophically, and I don't think the Bible like absolutely demands that you never go into debt to anybody. I think it certainly has some negative words to say about it. But, but I don't think, I think in this, case, in this case, in this situation, it is completely uncalled for. We can easily, with the people here, we can easily raise the money to build this building. And by the way, that's the easy part. Then you've got to sign up and volunteer to work with those kids week after week after week. Our kids. 
That is a huge blessing. I say it that way because it's hard work, even though it's an amazing blessing. Um, you, you will be blessed beyond belief, I promise, if you get involved with that. But we believe this is needed, and I think we need to be countercultural enough to communicate to our population, to the community around us. We believe in this, and so we're going to do it, and we're going to pay cash for it. That's what we want to do. That's what our leadership wants, is we pay cash for it. So I want to carry an image. Now, for some of you, this may be hard. This may have been a challenge because you couldn't see it. And we didn't have drawings. It was kind of like, well, we're going for probably the 5 to $7 million range. And it's hard to kind of wrap your brain around that. So we have chosen an option. This option is going to cost us somewhere in the 4 to $4.5 million. We have so far raised about $3.5 million. Okay? So, so we're a long way towards it. We want to do more than that. We want to finish this out. Let me look at some pictures real quick so you'll know what it looks like. Um, so here you have a picture. No idea why that one is not coloring in stuff and that one is. But that one is. So if you look over here, you can see that little colored in area. That's where the new building would be for those of you who are minded that way. Some of you are like, I, I can't understand at all what's going on on that map, which is totally fine. Um, that's showing you that if you're in the, in the education buildings, like straight through there, and you were to walk straight through the education building and go up the stairs and turn and go back that direction, there's a little ex, there's a, a back porch uh, on, the, on the children's building, which used to be called the education building, but is now the children's building. Um, there's going to be a walkway straight across to that field, and that front corner of that field, there will be a building there. That's where it is, just right up the road. Easy drop-off. It would be dedicated to the kids specifically the kindergartners through fifth graders. And it would be not quite full the day we built it, but it would give us some margin for growth. Um, and if enough money comes in, we can, all we have to do is expand to it, and we can make it even further. That's the grounds. The rooms, they're nice big rooms, um, slightly bigger than our normal rooms now. There's also an indoor playground in it. Um, which is nice. We, all our buildings are, are multi-purpose buildings, by the way. Our buildings get used all the time. You can ask Ben down here. They are used all the time. I asked for service. Um, Lance was in here. I don't see him this service, but um, 140, just last month, 140 outside groups used our church in one month last month. That's common. So, so to understand, this is a well-used, I hate empty church buildings. This bleh. Second floor, what a huge waste. Second floor looks like this, a big meeting area. We need that. Um, and also a place where children can meet and gather, maybe beginning of the Sunday morning, and then go to their classrooms as their teachers are able to take them to their classrooms. Great design. Um, the way it looks from the outside, it follows the beautiful model. Um, and this may actually, this is a, the first drawings. It may actually have a, a porch and that kind of stuff upstairs, but um, some great stuff. This is kind of following the beautiful uh, pattern that Mike Butler created when he designed this building. And so as we follow along through that, it's just, it's just an awesome time. It's a um, large area, play indoor, all that kind of stuff. This isn't investing in a building, merely. It's intended to be investing in a kingdom. It's seeing a vision of ministering to children, raising them up to become ministers, and we just need space to do it. This isn't some grand cathedral. It is classrooms, um, and that's a, that's a great opportunity we really do believe in this. One of the things I love about the, the to evidence that this is not some church building, some kingdom unto itself. Um, this is instead just the needs that we have in order to be able to accomplish this, what we've been called to. We have another ministry that we're big fans of, um, Track and Royal Family Kids Camp, which is to foster kids. We're not even allowed to say when it is. Um, I love that about it. 
We can be excited about doing it, but we can't say when it is because it's unsafe for these kids. The families might get out the word to the families that their kid is going to be at camp, and that's the kind of background these kids come from. We need prayer partners for one of those. You can engage with this this morning. Right out here between these two doors will be a sign-up for you to become a prayer partner for a track kid, a teen reach adventure kid, a teenager who's going to camp um, in the foster system that we're going to be ministering to them. We need those all gotten this morning. Everybody needs to go by. If you know how to pray um, or you need to learn, you need to go by and grab one of those. And, and do that. This is an olive tree endeavor. We know this. Some of you are saying, I don't have kids in the ministry. Or, or um, I don't, I don't, my kids will be too old for this, for this building or whatever. Fine. Um, in the Middle East, um, things grow slowly. Olive trees, for example, they grow excruciatingly slowly. Do you have an olive tree shot? That's a 2,000-year-old olive tree. They last almost forever. Um, but they grow so slowly. You may ever tried to grow any? I have a three in my property that I'm trying to grow, and the peach trees and the fig trees have all just exploded past them. They're so, it's unbelievable how slow. I mean, I, they'll grow, and then they'll finally grow, and you get all excited, and then the top half of them will die the next year because they didn't like the level of rain. Too much, too little, whatever, and you have to clip them off and start over. I've had, them, I've had the big ones go all the way down to one little sprout again. You're like, really? They take forever. You don't plant an olive tree so that you get olives. You plant an olive tree for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, for maybe thousands of years. Who knows? Okay, so if you don't have kids, then, then we need you to invest in this capital campaign for other people's kids. This is, this is we're, we're doing fine financially. We don't, we don't need money just to need money. I want investment. And so I want you to be able to get this. If you get this, if you understand this, if you can catch this, if you can see the thousands of little lights, the thousands of little lives that will come from this, the ministry that we do. Our ministry to children is extraordinary. I will tell you, we, we send out an email. When people visit, we send out an email. Hey, what'd you think? And all that kind of stuff. Any prayer requests? Any, any feedback? Almost never does the sermon get mentioned. I try not to take that personally. <clears throat> Sometimes worship gets mentioned, but not surprising. Um, every once in a while, someone will say, yeah, the sermon wasn't bad. I mean, there'll, there'll, there'll be something good about that. We like this about it or that about it. People mention two things, almost that exception. One is the hospitality. I've never been so welcomed when I came to a church. So many people welcomed me. So many people greeted me. So many people smiled at me. So many, which is awesome. We can never grow that ministry too big. I mean, if, if everyone was slightly late getting in, not because they were running late, but because they were outside greeting people on Sunday morning, if we had 250 greeters in the parking lot, that would not be too many, in my opinion. So, if you want to be a part of that, great. But here's what they mention, and this is what gets me, and I love it. I forward these to the leadership board and others every time it happens. Is that, is that they will say, we've been visiting churches, and we visited South Spring, and then the next week we were going to go visit another church, and our children said, no, we want to go back to that church. The children demand that the family comes back here. Because the children experienced the love and the vibrancy and the truth of God's word, they heard that God loves them, that God's proud of them, that God wants to engage with them. They experienced that through the lives of the teachers. What we do here, that is the most exceptional thing I believe we do. We need to, everybody needs to be a part of it. And we need to invest money as well into that ministry because that seems to be the main thing God has called us to. And it would be ridiculous that we would need to get debt on that, loan on that, anything like that. It's just not the case. Thousands of little lives that are going to become missionaries and business people and medical professionals and counselors 
and preachers and politicians, and they're going to have to be equipped to stand in the day of persecution because that may be what their Christian lives look like in the future. It was tough to decide what number to go with. So those of you who have been here for a while know that I've been pushing for us to have 100% participation, but, I mean, any number we pick is going to be a little bit arbitrary. I mean, how many members do we have? Is that what we go with? Well, some membership. Eh. We had between three and 400 givers last year. Do we pick that? But some of those people may be duplicated, and some of those people may have been grandparents who were coming for a day of baptism, and so we don't want to count them. And so as we wrestled, I was looking for a good number to go with. And here's, here's the number. This is, this is really close. Um, we have 350 kids over there. That was a good number to kind of mess around with, but here's what we ended going with. I found a story, been studying about light, that I wanted to share. So there's a guy named Gideon in, in uh, the book of Judges, and Gideon is one of the judges, and, and he's going to lead the people of Israel against their enemies, the Midianites. And so he starts with a whole gob of people, thousands of people against 100,000 Midianites. Now, they're still outnumbered about three to one at this point, and God cuts their number down. And he cuts their number down again. And in the end, Gideon is left with 300 people, plus himself, so that's 301. 300, and when you're at 300 against 100,000, you count each one. So 301 against 100,000. And, and in the story, Gideon comes up with a plan. We don't know if God gave him this plan. It doesn't tell us, but Gideon came up with a plan. And his idea was, we're going to surround the Midianites. Up in the, so the Midianites are down in the Valley of Jezreel. Well, some of us will be in a few days. Gideon was down there in the Valley of Jezreel. And, and they're up in the hillside. They're up on the hillsides. Getting his men are up on the hillsides. And they say, let's, let's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get up on the hillsides, and we're going to, we're going to at a certain time, we're going, to hide, we're going to hide our torches in these little vases like this. So we're going to hide a torch inside of a vase. And then when the time is right, we're going to keep that hidden from the Midianites. And when the time is right, what we're going to do is we're going to terrify the Midianites because we're going to blow the horn. The Bible is actually very specific that they held the horn in their right hand. And the vase in their left hand. I have no idea why it's that specific, but it is. And so we're going we're gonna to blow these horns. And, and um, I'm not as used to this one. This one's John's, but it's a, I'm not as used to it. I wasn't, John was like, hey, don't criticize my shofar horn. John Redfern. I'm not, I wasn't criticized. I just don't know this one as well. Let's see if I can. Okay, I get it. Okay, good. So. They would take the horn in their right hand, and then what they do, so at a certain time, Gideon gives, Gideon gives them the command, and the people of the Midianite soldiers are down in the valley asleep in the dark of the night. And the dark of the night, Gideon, at some point, and the people of Midian look up, yeah, I know. somebody woke up, woke somebody up. Usually it's a much older voice sounding than that then. And so the people of the, the Midianites look up and they see these 300 lights suddenly shining and they hear the horns and they all start, they all start just slashing around because it's pitch dark. And they, they, they think the enemy's among them. They start slashing around and they essentially they wipe themselves out. It's a great story. When, God's, when the enemies of God through God's provision, when, he, when they, they the people of, of Israel are able to, to accomplish this mighty thing through God, Pretty cool. So I'm going with 301. That's the number we're going to pick. Not bad, huh? All right. There you go. Now, here's the even better news. We're already at 183. 183 of us have already committed to this project. 
And I'm allowing for, again, they said 300 to 400. I'm allowing for the fact that you have, we have some people who, for whatever reason, they're going to give, they're going to invest, they're just not going to fill out the card. Fine. I mean, totally great. But participation is it's not the, the, number, the, the number I'm counting on God to take care of from a financial perspective. Our responsibility, I think, is to get involved. It's to invest. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you are not part of that 183 who have already done so, working towards that 301 number, to see the light. Can you see this vision? Has the light shined in such a way? Now listen, this is for, this is for members, for members, it's for believers. You already have seen the light. This is a narrow, almost silly way for us to say, this is another way where I have caught the vision of what God is doing here. And to be here means to invest in this. This next little step. I think it's a great opportunity. And you might say, so you go, listen, Chris, I'm a member here. I have no money. I would love, and, and John and I are working on, John Keeling and I are working on it a few weeks when we're teaching through Hebrews 8 together, I think. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means to live in a covenant where God's spirit lives in you, how to hear from God. That's going to be cool. But I, I grew up in a church where there was a tiny little church that gave $100,000 a year or more to missions because what they would do is they would just decide, what is God leading me to do? And then they would do it, and it was God's problem to provide it, not theirs. That's what this is about. It is a step of faith. If God doesn't provide it for you, don't feel bad about it. That's his fault. That's his problem. But if you believe God is leading you to something, go for it. You go, I, I'm, I don't have any money at all. Listen, there's actually a place on this one that has a monthly commitment of $10. Most of us can probably swing that. I'm not worried about the amount. I want the names. I want, I want the guy who keeps track of this stuff to send me an email saying, we have 301 people who have committed to be a part of this. There's a place on the back that has a blank for a one-time gift or for whatever. Write in a zero. Put in the word prayer. Put in the word volunteer. I'm going to start volunteering. I don't care. What I want is for us to be all in in regards to this. Because our, our, our kids need the space and the families who are coming, there are families desperate for a place that will teach their children, help raise up their children, and equip them to do it. So I want to encourage that. I will have a bunch of them up here. You can come get one from me. Last service, I sprinted to the back and stood in the foyer like a guy selling popcorn. <laughs> I'm not proud. I just want us all involved. I'm, I'm excited about that day when we get there. I know some of you are like, oh, you know what? I've meant to do that. I keep forgetting to get one of those blasted cards or... Let us, let us know what we can do to help you with that. There's a lot of different ways to do it. You can do it online. You can do it through an email. Or you can grab one of these cards. This is, this is a part of the ministry God has called us to, and VBS has revealed it yet again. So this is our idea. We want to fill in those spaces. So we're not doing a thermometer, thankfully. But that is going to be out in the foyer for the next few weeks. We actually have a... Here's how this is going to work. Um, if, those, if you've committed already and you can add to that, prayerfully, do so. If you can't, you just do a tiny number. Zero is a tiny number. Just put a zero on the end of the number you've got already. That was a joke. <laughs> Small number. Um, if you've been forgetting, that's fine. Listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be continuing to take um, pledges and goals and however you see it um, for the next few weeks. Um, and then on the July 23rd and August 2nd, 
by then the leadership board will have a plan. And prayerfully, the plan will be very easy. It will be, we're paying cash. Lord willing, that will be, and that's up to us. That's the plan. Any other plan? Um, we will bring that to the church and on, have question and answer on the tw- July 23rd and August 2nd, and then the church will vote on that plan on August 6th. The members of the church, whatever plan we come up with. This is a blessing. I, I see it. I see it in new and exciting ways in vivid color that I didn't see it before. My children, generations of children raised up in truth and godliness. I want you to give something if you at all can. If you can do one dollar one time because I want you to be able to walk into that building someday and know that you invested in it. And the ministry that goes on there. Our children growing in favor with God and men just like Jesus did. Learning to worship in spirit and in truth. Prepared to live out the great commission and bringing up their own generation of kids. Maybe without the benefits of all we have. So I want to pray over our kids and have a time of invitation. We do that every week because the assumption is that light has been revealed and you need to respond to God in some way. You can come pray. If you think this is a church that you've talked to Lance and somebody else and you're ready to come join, come join. If... um. If you need to put your faith in God that you've seen the light for the first time ever and you need to put your faith in this God, awesome. I mean, you can come up here and get one of these pledge cards if you want to. That's fine with me too. Let me pray this blessing over our children and over us and uh, respond as the Spirit leads you. Blessing to our kids. Therefore, children, do not become partners with the children of disobedience. For at one time you, all of us, were darkness, but now we are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We ask this to you, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor, to you be honor, and eternal dominion forever. Amen.